White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 I think we're back. Welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. Um, I am your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I am uh, slightly ornery because I've been snowed in and then just beat down by uh, Father Father Winter or whatever his name is, Old Man Winter. He's just he's absolutely destroying uh, Lance and I. We've we've been buried with a foot of snow plus. I don't know <laughs> what what our totals are up to now. I know I got about a foot. I think Lance probably has a little bit more because he's in the city of Boston, so it's more of a coastal storm. Even beyond that, we've had negative temperatures for two weeks. I am so ready for spring training. I am so ready for baseball. But the problem is it's only January 4th. But it's okay because we're, we're going to continue to fire up the hot stove, even though the, the, the hot stove has been incredibly cold since oh all God, the happenings yeah. right before the winter meetings and right after. But we won't dive into that too much. We're going to fire up the hot stove. We're going to go into one of the more exciting organizations and uh, systems probably in the last – Several years, especially for fantasy baseball wise, it would be Chicago White Sox. Lance, what's going on, my man? How, how are you making out with the snow? You know what the totals are in Boston right now? I think it's around 13 inches. So it's an incredible amount of snow. It's also unbelievably cold. And this weekend, I don't know if you saw the weather coming up for Saturday around here, but like five degrees with negative seven at night. It's I don't even understand how people are going to function. Um, but I mean, Boston's done a pretty good job. There's a lot of like flooding in the city too, which has kind of blown my mind. I've seen some pictures of it and it's like, 
I, I never thought that a, a snowstorm, like a blizzard like this could cause flooding, but, uh, but so be it, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable though, man. But yeah, this, this list is probably one of my favorites. I'm going to say that off the bat. I got to say going through this, it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of guys on here that I know I'm going to incorporate into my top 100, which is, I actually just got going. I was just talking to Ralph uh, prior to hit and record on this. We have a little new setup too. So I hope the audio is a little bit better. I'm sure we'll, we'll hear all about that from the crab army and such, but, uh, but this this list, man, is just unbelievable, and uh, the stove has been cold. It's been very, very cold, and I keep expecting to pick up, and I see all these MLB.com articles suggesting that it'll pick up, and I have this weird feeling that it's just never really going to pick up, or the, the transactions will be spaced out so much that it'll never hit like this. Oh my god, we had five signings in a week, and they're all relevant as opposed to all these minor signings, but... I don't know, Ralph. What do you think, man? Like, are we gonna are we gonna survive in this cold? I don't know. I don't have much blubber on me. I know you're a relatively thin guy too, so it's like, uh, I'm scared. I'm scared for us. <laughs> that was that was kind. Of, that was very kind kind of you, Lance. But uh, yeah, it's it's so cold. It's so cold. Winter has come so heavy that I'm I'm waiting for the Night King to show up at any point in time <laughs> oh and God. then just and just spear Tom Brady to death. I mean, that's that's sort of the point that we're at right now. Um, I know my, my buddy, Matt trust who, who works for Rasball, uh, writes all of the RCL articles. He's a great RCL player as well. Um, you know, crab on the side, he has a team in, in Raz 32 and, um, what he was, what he was saying to me is it's actually was negative 33 one day in Maine this week. Cause he lives out in the woods of Maine. I think oh maybe up the bank or something like that, but yeah, I, I couldn't believe negative 33 degrees and i'll say i'm i've lived in new england for 35 years the only time i've lived outside of massachusetts i live in connecticut for a few years and uh i don't remember a string of negative temperatures like this now at least from you know southern new england there's uh, you know i don't remember ever having like five six seven eight days to two weeks which is pretty much what it's been where it's been between 10 and negative five i i don't remember that at all usually it's like 25 to 35 maybe we get a couple 40 degree days mixed in um it's been so cold that the temperature had to rise today for it to actually snow i don't know i'm gonna we can talk this is gonna turn to a weather forecast i'm oh, gonna yeah, turn it's so far uh, uh, like what's his name is it what's the guy's name on uh jim jim Fee, what's uh, i'm gonna i'm booking a butcher's name i'm not even gonna try but who's the guy that gets super jacked up about snowstorms and hurricanes on oh, the web i don't channel? know uh, there's a guy yeah he's got an italian last name i can't I can't think of who it is, but um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much could be that guy right now. There's been so much snow and and weather and and such to talk about. <laughs> is his name uh, Aloy Jimenez by chance? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He 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 brings the whooping stick like Eloy though. Um, yeah, damn. I don't. So have you dug in a little bit on Eloy? No, everybody knows who he is, obviously, and, sure. and we know we know how good he is. But I was I was really digging into the batted ball data to try to maybe at uh-huh. least get a different take on some of the stuff. And it's funny, his profile is very reminiscent of Raphael Devers. Uh, and the reason I say that is he has a relatively high ground ball rate for a power hitter, 40, 45%. Um, fly balls only 26%, which is pretty close to what uh, Devers is as well. But they both have those elite 20% plus line drive rates. Uh, Eloy has a 23% line drive rate. And he's only got a 5% pop-up rate. So not a lot of weak contact from Eloy. And I'll say I think that the ground balls may actually not be such a deterrent, um, at least right now where they're not completely awful, <laughs> like 40-grade runners. Um, true, but, true. And, and I think the reason for that is is bat, 
batting average on balls and play on ground balls is, you know, maybe like 60 to 70 points higher typically than, than your fly balls. They mix it pretty well. And I think that's why, you know, both of those guys are going to be able to hit for power and also, you know, hit for some contact, get on base. Um, though they're not on base machines. These aren't, you know, Reese Hoskins, 10 to 12% sort of walk rate guys. I think, you know, they're both settling maybe about 8%, but I think that's good because they're sort of aggressive enough that I think it will play up their batting average. And that's great for five by five Roto. Um, Lance cut me off. What do you have to say on Eli, man? No, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm worried at all about the ground balls. I I'm all in, I'd say on Eloy as a whole, as a hitter, as a prospect, as a dynasty league asset for anyone to have. Um, I have him currently, I'll, I'll spoil a little of my list, but I have him number three overall of my top 100 at the moment. And I really don't think I'm going to budget that too much. Um, I have Acuna and Vlad Guerrero Jr. ahead of him, but he's on that level to me. I know that a lot of people kind of put Acuna above in this own upper echelon of just amazing, which I agree with for the most part, but I love a lot of what Eloy does. Um, I don't think that the ground balls are going to be an issue at all. Even if that ticks up, maybe even above, above a little bit above league average, he his, his ISO numbers through the minors are unbelievable. They're all sitting around that 200 mark, which is is it's elite. It's elite power. He has a pretty cool little little hand wiggle. I was watching a lot of tape with him. Yep. Cool little. His hands start high. They kind of drop down. He's almost got like this weird hand pump, and he comes through the zone. Which for most guys, I actually probably say I didn't really like, but. His bat speed is is incredible, and I'm not sure oh, yeah. if it's been touted as like something like a Clint Frazier. Um, I was reading the bit. I always jump around on prospects and, and read other sites to see what they think and see if it jives what my impressions are. And I saw in a couple spots that they said it's like good bat speed to great, but like I'd almost go great to elite because of how quickly he gets his hands through the zone and some of the balls that he hits with that long of a swing and his load is is just unbelievable to me. And I'm. I'm enamored with what he's done, and I love his figure. I love everything about him, honestly, a corner outfielder. Um, we'll get into the, the White Sox list as a whole. There are a lot of players here who are kind of this weird, eventual, on most teams, probably a first-base kind of guy, but I think Aloy could stick in the outfield. He's not going to be a plus defender. He's got a good arm, but he could end up being an average to above average, I think, defensively for the earlier part of his career, and he's probably going to deteriorate a bit, as almost anyone of this size is going to be 6'4", 205, listed on fan graphs. But, man, I, I don't know. Like, these guys, we got this this duo of elite guys, Aloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech here, that is, it's just, it's unbelievable. I think for the most part, I'm probably going to have both of them inside my top 10. I believe, Ralph, mm-hmm. on your last update, you had both of them inside your top 10. And at the end of the day, there isn't really too much to say aside from praise on these guys. Um, I like that you were digging into the batted ball data a bit. That elite line drive rate's awesome. There's really like I, I just watch some tape, see what he's done, look at the stats. He jumped up to double A. He looked completely fine. He slashed 353, 397, 559 with a 206 ISO. His bat up was insanely high. But I mean, this guy's gonna ride like a Miguel Sano-ish kind of 360-ish Babbitt, But I wasn't be I wouldn't be stunned at that at all. Um, once we get some data on his exit velocity and barreling that eventually puts on a baseball savant when he de- debuts and stuff, it's going to be it's gonna be top 25%. I'd be stunned if it's outside of that. And, uh, man, I don't know. Do you want to talk me off the ledge of Eloy? Because I'm all No, in. no. I'm, I'm completely with you. I had him third in my top 100 as well. And that's only because Acuna has such real, real uh, right now value in fantasy yeah, leagues. Yeah, agreed. And it's going to be tough to sort of um, argue with Acuna right now in terms of what his value is going to be in 2018 compared to other prospects. Vlad Guerrero Jr., I think, might be a better version of Eloy Jimenez, but not much better. Things I'll say that I really like about Eloy, too, is um, 
hits the ball the other way. I think six or seven of his home runs were to the opposite field this year. Um, at least five of them were like deep opposite field too, like down like the right field line. So um, he's not just pull only though. You will see some mammoth bombs when he does get a fastball on the inside and he's able to pull it down the left field line. Um, the thing I noticed about him that I, I'm most impressed with and, and why I think he's always going to hit for such power is the transitional weight in his legs. If you watch his lower body, oh, there's yeah. so much torque in his lower body that almost at times it's almost as if when he gets, you know, on his front foot and, and, he, and he's hitting, it, it almost seems like he's going to like topple over. There's like so much weight transition and there, and there's so much torque in his body. And I think that's why he's able mm-hmm. to, to hit the ball so hard. And ultimately my impressions are the same. I, I'd be shocked if he's not a top 25 exit velocity guy um, when, once it's all said and done. Transitioning to Kopech a little bit. Um, the thing I like about Michael Kopech is I think there were a lot of questions with him coming into 2016. Some of the issues that he had, obviously punching the teammate in spring training and breaking his hand, had a, st- uh, a stimulant um, suspension for you know performance-enhancing drugs. But outside of that stuff, he's really transitioned well, regardless of his sort of cocky, brash attitude, I think he kind of brings that alpha dog, Texas, hard-throwing right-hander mentality. Nolan Ryan, Roger Clemens, there's been a laundry list of these sort of guys. He's got the big fastball velocity. His slider has really improved. Um, made, a tra- made a transition in terms of his delivery. Was a little bit more straight on with the plate uh, after he made some tweaks. I think it was actually around the time of the Futures game. And uh, his control really played up from there. And, you know, that's why the, the walks were down to around three. Uh, in his couple of uh, AAA starts. So this is a guy that sort of, I think, can patch it all together. It's just a few small things uh, he needs in terms of progressing a little bit with his changeup and maybe uh, getting the control just a hair better. But, you know, he has everything there to really be a a Noah Syndergaard type of talent. The other part of it is he has the training regimen very similar to Syndergaard. This guy is a lift-heavy, throw-hard mentality, you know, weight training type of guy, squats, deadlifts the whole nine um you look at his body i mean he's an adonis so kopech is a guy that i think the cocky brash attitude has started started to transition as he's matured into sort of the right type of energy and i think ultimately it's it's going to make him a real bastard on the mound to deal with he's going to be a bulldog man oh my god i I 100 percent agree with you he's my top right-handed pitcher as well he'll be inside my top 10 um as you're saying with the the gym rat mentality around him i almost think that's that's an understatement to some extent. Like you should see, like I've seen, I think before I actually saw a picture of Kopech in real life or just around, like there are YouTube videos of him being interviewed and such as, as a red sock and as a, as a white sock. But I mean, you see him on the mound and you see him get off the mound and you see him in these interviews and you think it's a completely different person because the, the size and what he does physique wise just doesn't play up on video. He's six four two oh five. It is an absolutely chiseled, 64205. And the most interesting thing to me is I, I broke down his mechanics a bit. I was looking at him overall. And I almost want to say that as far as pitchers go in the minor leagues, he has the greatest like quick twitch muscles. Like as far as explosiveness in small windows of time, I think it's him because if you really slow down his mechanics and you and then afterwards you tell someone to judge how hard he throws, if you, even if you'd ask a scout, I'd be interested if you just kind of take a blueprint, take the name off Kopech and show him show a scout mechanics of this kid and peg how hard this guy throws. I think he'd probably sit 94, 95, and the reality is he sits 99-ish, and he could hit 100 consistently. I know he's dropped down a bit, I believe, for control purposes, but this guy is unbelievable what he has, and um, I'm enamored as well with him. This is kind of the one-two punch that is just 
unbelievable, and it's, you could cop it to anything um, as far as the White Sox regaining form and actually proceeding into contention in the AL Central, which is a division overall that I think is only going to take a couple moves, and by moves I mean moves up to the major leagues with the White Sox particularly, where they have guys come up through the minor leagues and actually perform before that team contends, and it contends consistently. Um, Kopech is unbelievable. I want to point out the last 50 innings pitch between AA and AAA for him was when he really started to shine, and it's a substantially improved sample as opposed to his aggregate from the entire year. He had 66 walks. Excuse me. No, he did not. He had 66 strikeouts to 10 walks. 1-2-6 ERA. His FIP was 1-2. A sub-1 whip and an average against a 178. He had some unbelievable starts to finish off the season, and that changeup is really starting to come out a little bit more consistently. That was always the knock. I think even last year, early last year, I had some concerns around whether that changeup could actually become a viable third pitch. And if it wasn't a viable third pitch, you could start to kind of waver on the control and you could start to pick out other things that are wrong with him. But the fact that, to me, it's it's just, it's the complete package as far as a power right-hander who can give you strikeouts, can give you innings. Um, it's just unbelievable. I'm, I'm really, really excited to see him. I think this is Ralph Pryor, we have a little show notes thing that me and Ralph passed back and forth to get ourselves on the same page, but we were talking about kind of wondering who is the first to debut, I think, and I'm, I, I bet we're both in agreement it's Kopech, and I bet we're both in agreement, Ralph, correct me if I'm wrong, that we want, we think he'll be up in September? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be September. I would I would be shocked if he's up any earlier than than, than August, but I would... I would I would expect it to be September. I think they're going to give him some time in the International League. There's really no reason to push his clock um, unless no. it's a, a matter of him dominating the International League. He's got you know a one four ERA and his WHIP is under one. He's striking out twelve per nine. He's walking less than three per nine, and it's July fifth. They may have to bring him up. You know, with this kid's personality, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he would sit well if his numbers are that good and he's that dominant. So, but at that point it might be a, a you know, the type of thing where they, where they avoid sort of a super two and, and are able to get him sort of uh, slip him under that. So that might be a consideration as well. I would say that mid July, if everything goes absolutely perfectly, um, there's a shot there, but more than likely it's going to be September. And if they can maybe even push it into 2019. Yeah, so he threw 135 innings last year, Ralph. Do you think that that number appreciates by a substantial amount? Do you, th- do you think they keep it in that window? Because I'm interested, because obviously the, I don't think they're contending this year. So it's a matter of, I feel like they should, shouldn't should push that 135 too, too much if they want to probably take care of his arm. And I'm, I'm sure they have a much better, more solidified plan that we're going to kind of speculate on here. But is 150-ish innings between AAA and the majors attainable? And is that something you see as realistic? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that uh, I think that 150 innings is is totally obtainable. Um, you know, he's been relatively healthy now for a couple of years since he's had the the hand injury. So, yeah, that wouldn't mm-hmm. shock me because what was he about 130, 135 last year? So to tick it up, maybe yep. 15, yep. 20 innings. I don't think that's a stretch, and maybe maybe it could even even be a little bit more. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. So now, as we navigate away from this top tier of talent, we get into guys that Ralph has third on his list, Luis Robert, and number four on Ralph's list, Alec Hansen. Uh, let's start with Robert, Ralph, because I think this is probably where we're going to start to deviate a little bit. I know we raved about him as as being the number one pick on most of your first-year player draft. I think that was actually the first pod we did together, so a little anniversary mm. of that, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we raved about Robert and, and kind of far and away being that number one pick. But you have him three on your list here. Um, I, I think I've kind of soured on him to some extent. I don't really know why. 
I want to see if you can help me out here, Ralph. Talk him up a little bit because I almost think that I'd have Hanson above him because I, I kind of think I'm falling for Hanson a bit on what he's done in his height and projectability and control that he's shown and the fact that he has that stability around his body at that size is something I always look for. And uh, I like Hanson a lot. But starting with Robert, um, the swing as a whole reminds me a lot of Puig. Um, it's relatively stiff, but he has five tools. So that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are going to fall for with him is the projectability of that and actually projecting it forward. But I mean, the bat speed's there, but we haven't seen all of everything we want to see with Robert come to fruition yet. As a lot of these guys that come over who are young and stuck around a ball, rookie ball, et cetera. Um, you know, it's a lot of projecting that's going on. And for you to have him thrown in a list, Ralph, means that you're probably a little bullish on the projection. So I want to hear this. Yeah, I would say that uh, the things that I like about Robier are he makes a lot of hard, hard contact. Uh, if you look at what his batted ball profile, now, granted, I understand it's the Dominican Summer League. I understand that he was one of the top talents there. Uh, but you play the games and you play against the competition where you're assigned. So I'm not going to knock him too much there. But 35% uh, fly ball rate. Ground balls are about 32%. So he does hit some ground balls. And then he had a 23% line drive rate. Pops out a little bit. That's not great. Um, and he kind of struggled to get his footing through the first couple of weeks there, but then he really came on uh, great on base guy. I mean, he had a 19.3% walk rate, only a 20% K rate. He is going to swing and miss. I wouldn't be shocked if the K rate uh, first year or so uh, over here stateside is somewhere around 30%. That wouldn't shock me, but he's only 20 years old, 6'3", 185. If you've seen this guy, he's, you know, he's built like a man. I think he can only get stronger. You know the Yohan Mankata comps, and I think it's because there's a lot of the same sort of profile. Great body, long swing, some swing and miss concerns. There's some speed, there's some power, there's some on-base ability, um, and there's raw athleticism that they hope they can tap into. Um, because Robert came over as early as he did, I'm hoping that some of those bad traits that a lot of these more developed Cubans come over with uh, can be curbed a little bit by some of the player development. But it really depends on what they're able to do once he comes stateside. Uh, at this point, I think the upside is so high for him to be a really good five-category contributor. And uh, there's an outside chance this guy could be you know, top 10, maybe even a top five prospect if everything sort of clicks correctly and the right guys get called up and exceed their limits by the end of the year. There's a really good chance this guy could be a top 10 prospect. And I think, like I said, he has it all. He's got some speed. He's got on base. There is some some contact ability. There's some power. Uh, maybe the contact and the power could get a little bit better, but it's still it's still not bad. And uh, I know that some have said that he could project in the middle of the field too, in terms of defensively. So it should be interesting to see what he can do. Um, um, I don't know. There's a lot to dream on with Robier. So maybe maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like he's going to go through some ups and downs, and that might be where I sour on him a little, just because. Like, the approach is incredible, as you're saying. He's almost even walked or strike out, and it's just that, that you absolutely love to see in a hitter. This young, um, the biggest thing for me is trying to understand and just grabbing my head around how much power is exactly there. That's actually home run power. And I know we're in the juice ball era or whatever, but if you're talking about the actual skill set of the hitter, is this more gap power to deep gap power that can get to 25, 20-ish home runs in that window and stick there with speed? Or is this, like, eventual 30 home run, 35 home run pop? And I think that's where... I might knock him a little bit because for the most part, a lot of the, a lot of the praise I've heard around him has to do with the fact that he can actually fail until those five tools and end up possibly like a 30, 30 dreamer kind of guy. But I think I see him more as like that 20 home run, 30 bad kind of guy. I'm not sure what his success rate was at the lower minors, 
but uh, I think it was pretty good. So I'm interested to see the balance of speed to power and which of those tools actually kind of grows a little bit. As you mentioned, he's relatively big, 6'3", 185. That's relatively thin, I would say, compared to Kopech, who's got 20 pounds, and I'm in an inch, you know. And even Jimenez, I think, might be a little bit bigger in the weight category. But uh, but Robert's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of projection, and that's kind of where maybe... If you're in a deep rebuild on a dynasty team, I think this is a guy that you probably appreciate and value a little bit. But if you're looking for a little bit more of a, of a tool to play now, I, I don't mind going with some other bats where you have a skill or two that you know you can pick up and in a year to actually have that contribute to your team. Because I think that Robert's time, Robert's time window is going to be a little bit different than a lot of these other guys. I think he's going to kind of progress a little bit slower. And the one thing I'm interested in, in going back to the gap power I'm talking about, I was watching a bit of his, his hitting mechanics and stuff, and I'm interested to see if the White Sox get his lower half going a little bit more. As we mentioned with Aloy, that's something that is just unbelievably awesome to watch. Like I love watching his lower half and getting that torque going and watching his bat speed. Robert's is a little bit more upper body, and I'm interested if you watch, like his, his he doesn't really have a toe tap or leg kick. He kind of has more of, a, of an up and down, just he picks it up and brings it down probably more of a timing aspect thing i'm interested to see if they get that lower half engaged a little bit more if that gap power can turn into home run power and if that starts to happen i'm completely fine with coming around on him and and agreeing with you ralph and and making him kind of this you know top 10 eventual kind of guy when he hits 24 ish and he's five years in and, and we got a really nice sample to look at but uh yeah there's a lot of projecting to go on with him but i agree the upside is immense but i think to some extent i might maybe tend to like some guys that are a little bit more progressed and less on the projection side but maybe that's just me being a little bit more cautious um Alec Hansen uh I'll reserve my opinion for a second Ralph I'm interested in your thoughts on Hansen because I I like him a lot and uh you have Robert ahead of him so pitcher to hitter comp let's stay away from that because that's always gonna be tough to do but you have him right behind Kopech and you have him above Dylan Cease Ralph so the comparison between Kopech it's probably I'm gonna I mean we got we got Kopech inside the top 10 so let's kind of kick that aside but I'm sure there are some lists that might consider Cease above Hanson um, make the argument for Hanson above Cease yeah I think the thing with with Hanson is number one he's come into professional baseball and he threw 141.1 innings in his first full year in the minors he exceeded everyone's expectations after having a really bad uh, junior year at Oklahoma where he actually got moved into the bullpen this guy was a top 10 potential pick sort of entering the 2016 NCAA season, and he was bad. He was just bad. Like I said, he got moved from the rotation. He ended up dropping to the second round, so people still thought it was a reach. I have to be completely honest. I was very much anti-Alec Hansen, as was Halp at the time. We kind of trashed him a little bit. I might have had him buried in like like the 30s or the 40s in terms of my top 50 for first-year player draft. So I was very wrong about Alec Hansen. I very quickly saw what he was doing early on this season in A-ball, and immediately changed my opinion. Um, the things that I really like about him is he's able to miss bats. And, uh, you know, he has a, a good fastball. He's got some, some breaking stuff that, that works as well. Um, I think it's, you know, the curveball is, is pretty damn good. Um, and I think he's a guy that ultimately has top of the rotation upside, despite maybe having some struggles in terms of how he got there. But certainly whatever the White Sox have done with him, or if the White Sox did anything with him, whatever he's figured out, over the last year and a half, um, everything's really played up, and he was excellent this year. Uh, you look at the numbers. I mean, 191 Ks over 141.1 innings, um, 2.80 ERA, 1.17 WHIP. Um, so even like some of the, the the knocks on him in terms of his control and command really were not the, the same concerns that we thought they were going to be. So I think the big thing with Alec Hansen is 
his stuff is probably equal to Sace, uh, if not slightly better in some ways. Though I think the case can still be made for for Dylan Cease, uh, just based upon how good his, his fastball breaking ball combination is. But he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy, and you know I know it's two years difference in age. I'm still worried that that Cease ultimately can reach that top of the rotation upside, where I think Hanson has just a better a better shot of reaching that. Yeah, I agree with you. Hanson Hanson's floor I think is is substantially higher than Cease's, but I, I get why a lot of people like like Cease. I'll start with Hanson. So. The thing I see with Hanson, and I tend to fall for this with a lot of guys, is if they're if they're taller and if they have some weight and if they can control their fastball and do a lot of other things around that. And uh, actually, I can hear a, a snowblower in the background. So uh, if you hear that perpetually through this, I apologize because I record right by a window. So uh, we're not lying about the snow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but back to Hanson, back to the relevant stuff here. Um, yeah, as I'm saying, like there's big guys like this. And if they can control their fastball, and, and Hanson's had unbelievable control. And he, the thing is, too, he showed it when he jumped up to double-A, which is something I love as well. Um, uh, as a whole, he jumped up double-A, two starts. Kate 17 gave up 15 hits, which is a little bit wonky, but he went five-plus in each, 34% carry, 9% walk rate, and that was a 2-1 average against with a 1-1-1 whip. So overall, there's just a ton of stuff that I like here with him. I like his delivery. I like that he engages all of his body. He gets his lower half in there pretty well. His delivery is relatively clean. He hasn't had too many injury concerns. As you mentioned, he pitched a pretty good stretch of games this year. He's been stretched out. He's a little bit older as far as the college arm goes, obviously. So he's 23, which is one of the reasons why I could see maybe a little people want to project Cease a little bit more and end up with something that is obviously going to return a little bit higher of a value. But, I mean, I see Hanson starting in AA um, come this season, jumping up to AAA and then possibly debuting in 19 and I mean, if you're looking for an impact arm in the next year or two for a dynasty team, I, I absolutely love Hanson. I think I'm probably going to have him inside my top 50, top 40 overall. I'll probably have him third if I were to make a list on the White Sox. I, I'm, I'm really, really high on him. I really like what I've seen, um, and I, I'm just I'm enamored. There's, I mean, I feel like I've gone three for four on being absolutely enamored with guys, whereas most of the time <laughs> we're talking about Knox. So uh, it's, it's interesting, all right. But with Cease for me, so I'll, I'll pass it back to you in a sec on Cease, but the one thing that I actually wanted to bring up was something that I don't know how much diving we do into mechanics, Ralph, but the thing with Cease, I was watching a lot of tape around him, and I, I watched a breakdown from Top Velocity, which is this YouTube channel that I, I like digging into, the, some of the guys that are really yeah, like biomechanically like inclined and stuff. And uh, with Cease, what they mentioned is that he has basically off-the-charts hip-to-shoulder separation. And this is a concept that I started to kind of dig into a little bit this week. And it's interesting. I'm going to try to break it down a little bit and give you guys an idea of what it is. It's basically when a pitcher comes forward and he plants his front foot. You look at his back elbow. So if he's a righty, his right elbow, where that is in relation to his back hip. So normally, guys, hips fly open a little bit. That's like the max velocity, quote-unquote, of the hips at front foot plant. And then how closed off a guy's shoulders are is better hip to shoulder separation. And the idea behind that is they don't, it's not something that I think driveline subscribes to one for one. Like if you have better hip to shoulder separation, you have higher velocity. But I think for the most part, the distance between, the greater the distance you have between your back hip and your right shoulder, if you're a right handed pitcher, allows you to mitigate some arm stress. It allows you to torque your upper body when it comes forward and actually delivers the pitch better. And Ceases is off the charts. That's why, to some extent, I think that he can throw in the high 90s, and he's only 6'2". I think he's a little bit, honestly, undersized to some extent. I know it's not the 6'4 frame we're looking for in Kopech and guys, but it's unbelievable. If you ever watch any slowed-down tape of Cease and you pause it right at front, front foot plant, his 
trunk, his torso is literally facing you. And as a hitter, I think this also contributes to hiding the ball. So there's a lot of things to like around Cease, but as you're mentioning, Ralph, he hasn't stayed too healthy. Um, the overhand curve is something I'm interested to see how it plays up at higher levels because this actually, I don't know if it's a one-for-one cop, a very different pitcher, but Lucas Giolito had a curveball in the minor leagues that people died over. And I remember when he came up with the Nationals, seeing that live as the overhand curve. I know a lot of people in MLB now are going to sliders more. I, I've been interested in how many more of these overhand curves we're going to see actually be wildly successful. And maybe CeCe's is a little bit different, but it's something that just comes up in the back of my mind when I think of a guy in the White Sox system with a pitch like this. And it's it's obviously not the same. Obviously, different build, different arm slot, etc. CeCe's definitely lower three quarters, almost sidearm. So, um, but that that's the biomechanic uh, lesson for today. Um, I don't know how much you know about that, Ralph, but uh, I don't even know if I got it right. I hope I was asking some people around the kind of network I have, and they seem to confirm that I'm not crazy, that if you have greater hip-to-shoulder separation, the velo goes up a little bit. But it's not one thing that's like a one-for-one tie. It's more something you look for. Another guy's like Darvish. If you ever pause Darvish at front foot plant, his shoulder, his whole trunk is completely closed off, and it's, it's almost unbelievable what he has. And um, that's one of the reasons he's, who's probably a little bit undersized, can throw um, that fast. It's just, it's unbelievable. And I'm, I like that about Cease, but at the same time, I think there are some knocks with him um, that can surface. He's a little bit lower level. I'm not sure how much I love his back foot drive either on the mechanic side. I know we're getting a little mechanics deep here on this episode, but uh, his drive, I think, will contribute. I don't know how much he's going to be able to cut that walk rate down as he kind of progresses through the minor leagues so um i guess we'll see but uh i think we're in agreement hansen over cease here ralph uh what about zach collins yeah and the one thing i'll say about cease is that you did a great job digging in there is i think i actually watched that video on his mechanics too with top velocity and they do really good stuff and Mm -hmm. yeah they hit the the shoulder separation you're spot on i've heard a little bit about it as i've watched some of those mechanical videos and i think as i started to work with you a little bit more i've dug in a little bit more on the mechanics side as opposed to just the numbers and you know what i see from uh uh, an actual results side of things because yeah. there's sort of a few different ways in in terms of scouting someone that you have to evaluate them. And I think the mechanics is something that's uh, heavily underrated when it comes to fantasy baseball prospecting. So it's an area where I, I like that you bring that to the table. Um, but yeah, I think there's some mechanical yeah. concerns. I think a lot of it, as you said, has to do with his lower body. Some of it has to do with, with his yeah. arm placement at times. I think his timing can get off. I think that's why he, he will be prone to walks, but He's also one of these guys that's that's uh, consistently inconsistent. Within one start, he can be fabulous for two innings and then have a really bad stretch morning where he sort of struggles with, with his control and sort of finding everything. But the thing that's nice about Cease is I think he mixes, as you said, uh, that hammer that hammer curveball with that high-velocity fastball. He hides pretty well. Yeah. I hear that it has a really good spin rate on it as well. Unreal. Yeah, yeah. so I think, I think it's you know the, the combination of those two plays up his breaking ball. It's just a matter of him developing his change and staying healthy for a full season for me to really buy in. And then I think he'll have a case uh, to sort of go toe-to-toe with Hanson, who I think his slider is just a little bit better than Cease's breaking ball at this point, though. Uh, there's probably some people who would disagree with me on that. As for Zach Collins, I think he's an interesting one. I think he's a very White Sox sort of prospect in that this is not an organization, and Halp used to say this all the time, and I, I agree with him, that values catcher defense very much they they value um offensive production from their catchers and they have for a very long time so i am very interested with collins to see how long it takes him over the next year or two to get to the major leagues is this the year where he progresses and gets a taste gets a taste of the big leagues or are they going to hold off until 2019 when it seems a lot of his core is going to sort of matriculate to the major league level uh things that i like about collins 
great on base, uh, you know, decent pitch recognition from the sense that um, he will take a walk, 370 on base percentage to a 224 yeah. batting average. That shows that shows you right there. But he is a guy that is uh, almost patient to a fault at times in which he was a little bit more aggressive. I think it ticks up on his strikeouts because he's more willing to take something on the black. Um, and I would like, because of the kind of power that he has and the, the quality of contact he can make, I would like him to be a little bit more aggressive, but I doubt that the uh, the White Sox go that way. Ultimately, he's going to be a three-outcome sort of hitter with good pop uh, and could potentially be very relevant as a fantasy catcher. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see with Collins. He's another guy, too. Like, that walk rate is just unbelievable to me to some extent. Like, if you're in an OBP league, I think you have him pretty high on your prospect, uh, top 100, Ralph. And I see that a lot, especially if you're in an OBP dynasty league. And, like, this guy can actually stick a catcher and end up with, like, a 370 OBP at the major league level, which I think is is honestly attainable for him. Like, his approach is unbelievable, and that's another thing that's a higher theme on this list, Ralph, is that there's a lot of guys here who have a weird blend of power, not too much on the defensive side of things, but then end up with a really nice approach, like a decent walk to strikeout, right? A lot of these guys are sitting in that lower 20s with a, a near 10 walk rate as and it's great like I, I think that's really interesting and it's almost like I, I mentioned that this is almost like a modification of the three true outcomes that we've gotten to as far as how the White Sox have built their prospect list it's no longer for them walk strike at home run it's it's basically walk home run or like out <laughs> like, I don't really know is that a way to do it like these guys don't strike out a lot but they fit that weird three true outcomes profile and and Collins is a guy too um one of the few I'll probably have inside my top 100 overall, and I'm sure you're going to keep him around there too, Ralph. So I like Cisco a lot from the Orioles. That's another guy that I think can get on base enough and hit for enough power. But Collins has more power. So if you're looking for the power upside from a catcher position and in a dynasty league, I think that you can't really go wrong with Collins. Um, interested to see later in his career, Ralph, if he can actually stick a catcher, as you're mentioning. I'd be interested to see how long it is before the White Sox maybe trend towards more defensive catchers behind the plate and maybe start to understand the pitch framing stuff. I don't know if maybe they do fully understand and just don't value it as much as some other teams. Like Flowers on the Braves is a guy that is just unbelievable on the framing side of things. But um, you think there's a chance he ends up at DH if he's one of these guys like the Jake Burgers and et cetera. He's one of the guys that eventually pushes to DH because the catching isn't good enough, but the approach is really good. Or do you think he sticks at catcher long term? Maybe if Sebi Zavaleta is is a really good catcher and and eventually his bat actually plays up as well as it did last year. I don't know if you followed him at all. He's another catcher that's in this organization. Didn't make my uh, mm-hmm. my top 15, 16 here just because uh, I didn't want to have two catchers in the same top 20 or whatever. So anyway, um, yeah. as for your question, I actually think he's going to stick. I think he's ultimately going to stick at catcher long term because I just I don't think that they value it all that much. And um, he throws well enough that it, it's not going to be an issue. His pitch framing, I haven't got a lot of reports on that. Uh, I, would, I, would have to, I would have to see it. I would have to see more of his actual mm-hmm. pitch framing. I didn't watch a whole lot of his handful of games with double A. He was mostly with uh, uh, high A, um, the dash of the Carolina League. And I don't watch a ton of Carolina League games. I see more Eastern League games than anything else. So uh, I'll have to see for me to actually be able to make that determination. The reports I read is that he's made substantial improvements defensively, and that was the biggest improvement and positive step of his 2017 was his defense behind the plate, that they think he can't actually carve out a role now. So uh, I think he's got enough balance between throwing and hitting that he could probably stick a catcher for a long time. It certainly worked for Victor Martinez. 
Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Let's jump down to number seven on your list now, Ralph. That's uh, We had Zach Collins at five, Dylan Cease at six. Now you have Blake Rutherford at seven, the ex-Yankee, a guy that actually after I realized and remembered that he was an ex-Yankee reminded me a lot of Greg Bird approach-wise in his swing. Maybe not as much power and as much swing and miss, which to some extent might be a positive, but Rutherford's interesting. I like him a lot. I watched some of his minors tape and actually some of his uh, high school tape. I believe he was a high school bat drafted. Um, they incorporated a bit of a leg kick, which is another thing I noticed with another guy on this list. Let me see if I can get his name. Uh, Ryan Cordell is a guy who actually started more stride-based and went to the leg kick, went to a pretty high leg kick, Cordell's, and it's more of a timing thing. But Rutherford's actually, I think, is, is to allow a little bit better on the transfer of the lower half and getting his bat into the ball more. He has some home runs that really, really look pretty. And I don't know if this is just me, but I, I like some of the pokes I've seen from him that go a long way. Um, 15% K rate, 10% walk rate, A ball for Chicago. Slash wasn't great. Um, the bat up was low for him. I'm interested if you think this is a guy with enough bat speed as we're going back to guys like Eloy and et cetera, who, who have crazy bat speed. Rutherford is a guy that I think might end up in the more interesting window where we don't know if it's elite bat speed. It may just linger in that area where it's more of an approach thing for him. Like if he can maintain a 15% or like a sub 20% K rate and a decent walk rate, I think he can end up being a nice average outfielder. And that's the thing at the end of the day, I kind of see him as a third outfielder. I don't really see him as a fourth, as I know some people do. And I don't really see him as a, as a possible second outfielder, you know, that can actually hit anywhere from that three to four and on a team with enough power. I kind of see him more as that third outfielder who can hit upper half. If he gets that OBP up a little bit, even more and get the approach up, he could hit maybe second, but he could also hit maybe six, seven. But I mean, I'm interested in Rutherford. I like him overall. I think I'd have some investments in some leagues if I was if he was available or a trade bait or et cetera, or if there's bitter Yankee fans that just don't want to look at I look at him anymore. But uh, I like <laughs> Rutherford overall. It's just I just don't know how much upside there is there, Ralph. Um, do you see more upside than I do? Yeah, I do see. I think a little bit more upside than you. And just so just so we'll go into it. Um, this guy came into the 2016 draft season as the top prep prospect in that draft. Uh, top California mm-hmm. prep prospect in that draft over the number eventual number one pick Mickey Moniak. They've both struggled quite a bit. So I don't know if he's a great comp. I yeah. think he's been a better hitter than Moniak though. Um, he had a really bad yeah, Moniak's August. Had struggles. That, yeah. And, and, and Rutherford had a really bad August. Uh, his August, he slashed 205, 287, 244. And that re- and that was yeah. post trade. So you have to remember, this is a 1920 year old kid that got traded. He was drafted by the Yankees. Brought along, he was hyped up a little sure. bit, and then all of a sudden it's uprooted. He's sent to another organization. So I'm sure that's difficult to deal with for anybody, but particularly a 20 year old kid uh, who's only known one organization for a year plus. So he struggled mightily. And prior to that, um, his slash line was 283, 342, 388. Obviously, still not great in terms of the power, but the on base and the contact is pretty good uh, for a player as young as he was. And I believe he actually he was uh, he, he got a full season assignment um, in with Chicago. I believe he's in the Midwest League. So uh, with Canapolis, if I'm not mistaken. So I think you got to account for all of that. Put that into perspective. This guy has elite talent and uh, it's just a matter of him tapping into power. I don't know if he gets to that at this point. Uh, he's certainly more geared toward a, a line drive type of approach, a line drive type of contact. But uh, with this day and age where we have not only the, the fly balls and the juice balls and everything else, I think we also have to look at sort of the, the launch angle revolution. Uh, he's a good athlete. He's you know a talented baseball player with pedigree. He's the kind of guy that could potentially make 
a change and ultimately maybe add that power. Has a little bit of speed, like I said, has some athleticism, has some good hand hand uh, eye coordination, bat to ball skills. So I wouldn't want to write him off. I don't think that he's going to be an elite level talent, but I do think, as you said, I think he could carve out a role as a nice uh, major league outfielder and somebody that could contribute sort of on the back end of your roster in like a 12 team fantasy league. Yeah, I think that's huge too because I think that's one of the things like. We often talk about upside, and we often love upside, but, I mean, if you can get a third outfielder, that's actually relevant. And, you know, if you're talking redraft, who he ends up going, saying, like, the Mitch Hanniger-ish window this year, where there's there's a little bit of upside there, but it's 200-ish overall, like, that's a valuable asset to have in fantasy leagues, I think. I think sometimes we overlook that. We often kind of tend towards just looking at the crazy upside, but that, that often is something that doesn't manifest, and you end up having a lot of dead assets on your team. But a guy like Rutherford, I love hedging Rutherford in with some other guys, and I know he's still relatively young, and he hasn't progressed kind of up through high A and stuff like that, but I like the approach overall, and I think it sticks, and I think that the slash line will start to buoy up a little bit as he matures a bit. Um, Jake Berger is another bat. I'm going to jump over Dave Dunning. We'll talk about Dave Dunning and, um, or excuse me, Dave Dunning, Dane Dunning Dane. and Carson Fulmer together because they, Dane, Dane, I keep saying Dave. I don't know why. <laughs> Dave Dunning. I, I, I like that better. you got to change your name, Dane. But uh, Jake Berger is a guy that uh, was drafted 11th overall out of Mississippi State um, in 2017, actually. He's a little bit bigger of a guy. He's a guy that I really don't think has any chance to stick at third base right off the bat. Just, I actually watched some video of him fielding, which I tend not to do too much on some guys. But, um, yeah, there's really no way. I didn't think his arm action was great. I know he's had some accuracy concerns, as you've mentioned, Ralph. Um, the one thing you also mentioned in your little blurb on him is that they've been working on his swing to some extent. So I watched some tape comparing kind of July to August and August to September with him and didn't really see too much change. I don't know if they're trying to quiet his hands, but he's got an interesting approach. He's another one of these guys where it's a 14% strikeout rate with a little bit lower than Rutherford on the walks, but he's at 6% whereas Rutherford was around 10. But there's, I mean, a lot of these guys, you think that there might be the 25, 30% strikeout rate on these guys. And we'll get to a guy like Micker Adolfo who, uh, who has that 30% plus strikeout rate. But uh, a lot of these other guys are like sub 20 with a little bit of some, some ability to take a walk, but it's just a matter of, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at this team, you know, Jake Berger is a third baseman. I eventually think he goes to first, probably even ends up DHing if the bat could play up. And a lot of these guys, the question then becomes, can the bat appreciate enough to actually stick and become relevant at that position? Because as you move around the diamond, the baseline for the offensive output to actually become relevant is going to increase. So a guy at third base is like whatever. You could look at like a Jed Jerko and be like, okay, that's some decent value. But like Jed Jerko at first base is irrelevant in fantasy to some extent. You need a guy like Smoke who can put up the 30 bombs. And it's a matter of all these guys like Berger, um, Gillespie even to some extent, Gavin Sheets, who I think we'll get into in a bit. Like it's all these guys. It's just a matter of if they end up going around the diamond and ending up first base, how much actual you know, how much helium is in their bats to help them appreciate. And I'm not really sure how much is there with Berger, honestly. But they took him really, really high. And I, I, I don't really know what they saw in that. Maybe they just like the advanced college, college bat, think he could kind of play up, maybe play him at third and just stomach the bad defense for a bit. But, um, Ralph, you have any thoughts on Berger? Yeah, I've been I, – I've really sort of gone back and forth with him. And there's some stuff that I like about him. I think that, you know, the advanced approach, there's a track record of what he did. Uh, when he was at Missouri State, he was very good. I know that's a program that sounds funny, but they've they've produced some major league players, a handful. Actually, Bill Miller, uh, former Red Sox for third baseman, I think for the 2004 Red Sox, actually was a, uh, a, a Missouri State alumnus. But there's been a couple other ones. So don't write off that program when you hear that. But he was very good in college one of the better uh, college power bats, but he's a, a messy, bad-bodied third baseman. I think he ultimately moves over to first base. 
the contact isn't great. His his batted ball profile does not look good. 52.6% ground ball rate, 22% fly ball rate, only a 16% line drive, and that's a company with about a 9% pop-up rate. So he's making a lot of bad contact on pop-ups as well as uh, you know an, ex- an extreme amount of ground balls, especially that, that would be bad for somebody with 70-grade speed let alone somebody that runs like Berger does. Um, so I want to see him get a little bit more loft into a swing. And when they were working on his swing, it was actually in, ex- in extended spring, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, in instructs in the fall. So you probably wouldn't have had any okay, tape of uh, the stuff that they were working yeah. on with Berger. I think there was a video that was tweeted out maybe by Longenhagen back in September or October showing some of the changes, but I would have to Google that afterward. And I uh, mentioned that to you, but he got a really aggressive assignment and it was Canapolis, by the way, I made a mistake before it's the Midwest league. Canapolis is obviously of the Carolina league because it is in North Carolina. Um, so in the, in the Carolina league, that's a full season, uh, a ball. So that was an aggressive assignment and he handled it. Okay. You know, 258, 325, 393 after playing a long college season, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but, um, he seems like a guy that was drafted. He seems like a reach. 11th overall seems like a reach. There were a lot of talented players that went behind him. Uh, I think we'll talk about one of them when we go into our Milwaukee Brewers podcast. We get to go into my my love affair of Tristan Lutz, but I won't dive into that too much now. (laughs) There's a handful of players that went behind him that are very talented that I think the White Sox made a bit of a a boo-boo with this pick personally. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, Do you want to talk about Roto-Ware? You know, the, uh, the, the man of the hour, Kenneth Cashman? Why don't we go into to Kenneth Cashman uh, and uh, rotoware.com? Kenneth Cashman on Twitter. Follow him at rotoware. Uh, this guy is killing the fantasy t shirt game. Every year he's putting out new stuff. There's some, some uh, new line for 2018 that's coming out, I believe, in just a matter of weeks. Uh, you saw the designs that he had last year. He's only going to step up his game. This guy is a designer by profession, uh, he's an artist by profession. Just a really talented guy, good guy, high-level fantasy player as well. Plus, he's a crab. You know that I love Kenny. You can obviously use the Sagnoff, that's S-A-G-N-O-F, promo code to get 20% off all of your purchases over on rotoware.com. I'd head over there. Uh, maybe you got some gift cards left over from Christmas still. I go over there, buy myself a really good fantasy baseball T-shirt so I can be ready for all my drafts that are coming up in the next couple of months. What say you, Lance? Yeah, no, I, I I'm a big fan of Rotoware. Um, they sent me over a shirt. It was one of the, the small things that I was extremely excited about when you when you asked me to come on and, and co-host this with you, Ralph. I was like, oh great, I'm getting a Rotoware shirt. I'm pretty stoked. So uh, I got my I Love Keeper shirt. I wear it to the gym every now and then, and I'm still waiting for someone to pick it out and and talk to fantasy, talk some fantasy baseball with me. Um, I'm I'm waiting for that day. I rue that day. I can't wait. That's gonna be awesome. But uh, I, I know there's someone out there that's gonna find me at some random Boston gym and be very confused. But uh, hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah, no, unbelievable. The attention to detail is one of those things that stands out immediately when you get a shirt. He tosses in all these little cool, cool cards. Usually a bunch of stickers, a certificate of authenticity, and the quality of the shirt itself is unbelievable. It fits well. Very very comfortable. Again, Sagnoff um, is the promo code. I think that's twenty percent off. And they got a new line coming out, as you mentioned. I'm really excited to see. He's been super, super innovative with some of the shirts he's come out with. I know he's had a uh, the poop emoji shirt for losers of fantasy football leagues. And I'm really, really interested to see what he does for fantasy baseball leagues. Because I believe that some of the first shirts were around fantasy baseball. So I feel like, to some extent, that is that is the brainchild of it, you know? The root of Roto-Wear is fantasy baseball. And I, I know that me and Ralph really, really appreciate that. 
Um, but yeah, Sagnoff, rotoware.com, Kenneth Cashman. Check them out on Twitter. Check them out wherever you can. And uh, get your save, save some money on some nice fantasy baseball shirts. Rep it up. Because we're, we're getting into draft season. I know that Razzball is jumping to uh, multiple posts per day after MLK Day. Right around there, I believe. So uh, um, this is getting into the season, you know. A lot of people are now at a fantasy football leagues. Fantasy hockey is something I know not too many people play, although that is still in season and such. But fantasy baseball is is dominant to some extent, I think. And we're going to start kicking around some prospect lists and rankings. You're going to start seeing them come out, and FBC data is going to come out. And we are really, really excited for the year. And I know we're gonna we're gonna kill this year on Rasball. Um, we got Ralph and Gray on the podcast itself, and then me and Ralph doing the prospects podcast. Ralph's probably gonna have a couple columns a week. I'll have a column per week. And uh, we're, we're stoked for the year. This is going to be unbelievable. Um, are you excited about Dane Dunning? Not Dave Dunning, Dane Dunning, Ralph. I actually am very excited about Dane Dunning. Um, sort of going into what his background was, he was the odd man out at uh, the University of Florida with a very, very talented rotation that uh, obviously included A.J. Puck, uh, who was a draft mate of his. Yep. Also also included uh, Alex Yato. Uh, and some other very talented arms. I don't know if Singer was in that rotation yet or not. I think he was on that team, though. Uh, but he's a guy that made the transition from the bullpen to starting, which you don't see all the time, but it's it's not unheard of from some of these college guys uh, from a great program. Things that I really like about him, he's got a low 90s sinker, has really nice movement on him. It's effective to righties and lefties. He's got, and I think that really drives his elite ground ball rate, which is close to 55%. He's a guy that mixes a uh, double-digit swinging strike rate, about 12%, with that 50% plus ground ball rate. So it's a nice mix for me uh, with pitchers. Though I'm not married to ground ball ground ball guys. I know there's some people who prefer the fly ball guys just because of what the batting average on balls in play is. But for me, you're still not going to hit a homer in a homer-prone sort of park when you're getting a lot and a lot of ground balls. Also mixes in a 12-6 curveball that I don't know if you've watched much of it. Um, I've seen it described as a slider as well. Sometimes it's one of these things, you know, cutter, slider, curveball, slider. It has some slurvy break to it at times. Um, it gets plus grades at times. I, I've seen it look average, and ha- I've seen him have trouble uh, throwing it for strikes. I've seen other times that it looked really, really sharp, and that's why he was able to pair that uh, with the, the, the sinker and miss some bats. Change up, it seems like with all these guys, is a work in progress, but uh, changes for our field pitch, and it's one small thing, a grip thing, uh, better arm action, just you know, better sequencing, and sometimes that pitch can can play up. But I think there's a lot of good things here with Dunning, and I think that he's a guy that has a really interesting profile for fantasy that sort of slides under the radar a little bit. Yeah, I agree. It definitely does slide under the radar. It's one of those things where you have another guy in the White Sox system like Hanson, as we were talking about earlier, who is is stretched out to some extent, like. Dane Dunning, I think, threw about 140 innings. He's 23. He's a little bit older. I understand that. But there's a lot of guys in that 23-ish college arm window that aren't throwing 140 and that aren't stretched out and that you're a little bit more worried about possibly getting to that 26-ish age before you see that 140-ish innings pop. But with Dane Dunning, he's at he's 23 and he has the 140 up to high A. We saw some of the, the home – he actually gave up, I think, a good amount of home runs when he jumped up to high A. He had 118 innings there, 140 total. So he had 20 in low A before he jumped up. But um, I'm interested to see if that home run rate continues into next season with him. I'm sure he's going to reach double A at some point. Um, hopefully that's not something that becomes a concern 
uh, with the sinker ball pitcher, you know, you'd like to see that ground ball rate stick, which it has to some extent, but the fly balls did go up a bit. Um, I think in the lower minors, he actually had like a 65% ground ball rate, which he is did. just unbelievable. It almost think, makes me think that they probably should have progressed him quicker than they did. Because, I mean, you see a couple, some of these other guys. There's, some, there's one guy on this list. I don't remember who it was. Um, Spencer Adams, maybe he just kind of flew through their minor league system with only, or no, it was Nick Birdie. It was Zach it was. Birdie, not, Zach not Birdie. Minnesota twin Zach Birdie. He, he flew through the minor league system. He basically threw like five innings at each stop and just appreciated up. And it was unbelievable. But Dane Dunning's one of those guys. I mean, I, I could see him in double A. I'd be very interested to see if they start him in double A and have him touch triple A next year. Um, another one of these kind of 2019 debuts. I like him a lot. Honestly, a 26% K rate, 7% walk rate controls everything pretty well. High ground ball rate. It's a mixture of swinging strikes and ground balls, which is something that guys like Luis Castillo, we, I know we've talked about a good amount. And you guys have talked about it on the fan tracks baseball show. He's, I like that a lot. And you like that a lot. Dallas Keuchel is another guy, obviously a little bit of the upper echelon where he can, he can get a bunch of swinging strikes and keep the ball on the ground. It's a great combination, especially in an age where the balls are flying out. Even if that continues as a whole nother debate, but, um, not too much relief risk with him at all, I don't think. But there is a bit of relief risk with Carson Fulmer, who, Ralph, you have 10 on your list behind Oof. Jake Berger at 9 and Dean Dunning at 8. So Fulmer at 10, uh, this is a guy from Vandy who is shorter, high effort delivery. I think a lot of people knocked him for that. And right out of the gate, I think for the last three years, we've been talking about him as a reliever long term. He actually made some starts, though, in 2017 with the big club. He made five of them, and the results weren't good. And that is concerning to me, mainly because he has, I think, four or five pitches that he throws consistently. And I'm not exactly sure which of those I trust the most, because from what I understand on the grading system around a lot of his pitches, he, they all kind of mesh together in that 50-ish window. He doesn't really have that fastball that sits in the 70-ish grade or 65-ish grade that we see with a guy like Cease. He doesn't really have a really good breaking ball like Cease has or like Hanson has. Um, there's a lot of kind of confusion over the role in which pitch he's going to stick with as far as the cutter goes, the fastball goes. I know he's got a change in the curve too, but there's really nothing here for me to get really excited about on the starting pitching side of things. Is there anything for you to get excited about on the reliever side of things, Ralph? Is this a guy that you think can end up being the, uh, the eighth inning guy to, to Zach Birdie if he stays healthy, or do you think that could even be flip-flop? Do you think he has enough K upside to actually be a closer? Is this more like a two-inning long-ish kind of guy, like a Davinsky type? Yeah, and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't sleep on Manaya too. Eventually, uh, filling in somewhere in the back end of that uh, that bullpen with those last three rolls, especially with Birdie coming off of the, the Tommy John surgery. I think there's an opportunity for Carson Fulmer to be a pretty decent closer. I think his stuff can play up in that he was good at the role uh, in spurts at, at Vanderbilt, and he got moved into the rotation. But I never thought this guy was going to be an elite starter type. I've always thought that his best role was as a bullpen guy, and I think eventually he'll find his way. Uh, to that bullpen. But for now, the White Sox need some innings in the major league level. And he's a guy that's going to get some more run, I think, as a starter in the major leagues. I know there's some things they've been trying to tweak with him in terms of his mechanics um, and and some of his grips and some of his off speed and and breaking pitches. I read a little bit about that today uh, on maybe Fansider or something like that. Uh, Somebody that that was, you know, somebody that, that writes specifically about the Chicago White Sox. So, I wonder if maybe that plays up. This is a guy that is definitely uh, in need of a makeover for sure. Um, there's some stuff about his profile that just does not look good. I, I can't imagine he's going to be successful uh, as a starter. It's a decent amount of ground balls, but his line drive rate is relatively high. He doesn't get a lot of pop-ups. doesn't get as much uh, swing and miss as, as we would like to see. He only had about a 16% strikeout rate as well. Um, so, no, there's nothing really to get excited about here. 
from a starting pitching standpoint. Maybe there's something with a relief standpoint, but it may take a year or two for him to sort of hone his uh, his arsenal and, and really get it to the point where uh, he's a guy that can be dominant out of the bullpen. But I still think there's a glimmer of hope there in terms of him being dominant out of the bullpen. But uh, yeah, Carson Fulmer to me is a guy I didn't like in the draft. And another another kind of poor draft pick. They've done a much better job of trading for prospects than they have drafting yeah, prospects, have. in my opinion. I'll also say that he's part of this mm-hmm. sort of 7 to 12 group here uh, or 7 to 11 group here within my my uh, my ranking of the, the White Sox system where all these guys have some question marks, you know, Dunning being um, uh, uh, the, the relief side of things and, you know, if it's all going to stick. Uh, but there's a lot of questions with Rutherford. There's a lot of questions, where I think, with Mick Rodolfo as well, who I'm sure we'll probably get into in a minute. There's a ton of questions with Fulmer, and there's obviously also questions with Berger. Um, so I don't, I don't love Fulmer. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else I could say to sort of knock him at this point until uh, <laughs> he has a five ERA in the majors this year, which I think is eventual. Yeah, I know. I agree, yeah. So, Micker, you mentioned Micker Dolfo. Uh, I think I'm going to coin him the most fun player on this list just because he looks like a football player. He looks like he probably yes. shouldn't be playing baseball. And I was honestly very impressed with his swing. Like, I watched at one of his at-bats against Riley Pint from the, the Rockies actually had it up, and he took a, a 2-1 fastball on the inside part of the plate into the shortstop hole. Pretty nice swing. He's got a really nice swing overall, good follow-through. He stays pretty well back, but I think that – the, the breaking ball recognition is terrible, but the caveat to that is that he cut the strikeout rate down to about 30%. And I know that we say down to 30%. It was in the high 30s, and this is a guy that has unbelievable uh, swing and miss built into him that is is going to sit there, I think, till the end of time. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who ends up in the 20, even like the 22, 24% strikeout rate window. I don't think that's possible. But man, if you want a guy in a deeper side of a list, and you're and you're rostering a lot of prospects, and you just want to sit on someone who made improvements in 2017. Number one, that's why he's relevant, and that's why he's in inside Ralph's top 12 here. And she'd probably be very similar on my list, I would say. A lot, a lot of risk here, but the upside is is pretty insane um, overall as far as his power goes. I think long term. Um, and yeah, this is he's just fun. Just go to YouTube and, and watch some Micker Adolfo videos because he is a large human and. Uh, I don't really know if he ever got tried out by the Pats as a tight end. He could have, he could have <laughs> buoyed up with Gronk. That would have been interesting. But, uh, but yeah, the, the swing is good. I was pretty impressed, Ralph. Were you as, as impressed with the swing overall, even though that the strikeout rate is, is around 30%? Yeah, and that 31% strikeout rate is far and away the best strikeout rate of his career. He was 33% last year, but we're talking about a guy that's had 40-plus strikeout rates, though, albeit in like 50-game <laughs> sample sizes, but still. 50-game sample size with like a 43% strikeout rate is pretty ridiculous. But I think the thing that I liked about it is uh, Adolfo finally uh, tapped into some of that massive 60-grade, maybe 70-grade raw power that he has. So he's a fun player to dream on. Uh, Even if he's sort of a fringe major league guy, maybe he's a platoon bat, I think he's still an interesting guy for like a depth piece in your minors in a deep dynasty league, just because yeah. uh, if it all clicks and, and something happens, you can get down to a 25% strikeout rate, maybe you can get that batting average of 260 and really streamline a swing and, and, you know, tap into 25 to 30 to 35 type of power. Cause I think that could be buried somewhere in there. It's just a matter of if um, he could clean up the whole package, not swing and miss uh, so much and get it down to 25%, but he's already made some improvements and he's still relatively young. I mean, he only turned 21 uh, in September, so 
He's age appropriate for the level. He was signed for a lot of money initially when he was, I think it was 1.6 million back in 2013 as an international. Sometimes these international kids just take a little bit longer. But I think Adolfo um, is a guy that could shoot up ahead of the other, you know, five or six players that are ranked ahead of him on this list. It wouldn't shock me if he's ahead of Berger and Fulmer and some of these other guys next year. Completely agree with you, yeah. And as we jump now to 12 through, I'm going to group these guys together here, the three of them, and we'll kind of slice and dice them, I guess. I agree. 12 through 14, you have yeah, 12 is Ryan Cordell, 13 we have Casey Gillespie, and 14 we have Gavin Sheets. So the guy on this list that I probably am a little bit bullish on that I would shoot up probably about five or six spots is Gavin Sheets. So let's kind of leave him for a second and talk about Cordell. Cordell's a guy, as I mentioned, I believe a little bit earlier, as I was talking about Rutherford, who added a leg kick like Rutherford, but it's a really, really high leg kick. And it's I think it's a timing thing from what I was looking at because I was actually kind of surprised when I saw that they added that. Um, I thought to some extent that the K rate would have gone up, but his, his slash line actually looks pretty nice with the implementation of this. I think he did it to start off 2017, went through with it. 22% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate. This is another guy that falls right in that weird window where it's not a lot of Ks and it's a good approach overall. But it again comes back to how much is that bat actually going to play up at the higher levels how much is that going to turn into a bat that becomes relevant and fantasy relevant because at the end of the day that's why we're here we're trying to find the prospects few that are a little bit deeper on this list that might actually turn into valuable assets as opposed to fourth outfielders like a a guy that just doesn't end up actually returning any value for you especially if, if you're even putting even even thinking about a lower investment on a guy like this but um he feels like cordell feels like a fourth outfielder to me and i'd almost say the same thing for casey gillespie and as far as mechanics go it's it's really really different between the two gillespie is a guy that I, there's literally no movement in his lower half. It's a step, and it's all upper body swing. But he's had some home runs. He, I think Lesby's a switch hitter. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ralph. Yes. He um, he's had some interesting swings. Yeah, he's had some interesting swings. I like his swing a little bit more from the left side, and he's got some good drive. But overall, like this is just another guy where I'm just not sure what it actually turns into. And the biggest thing is that um, he's from Wichita State, I believe, so there's two big draft pieces coming into this draft. 2018 Alec Bohm and Grayson Janista from Wichita State so that's actually a pretty relevant team this year um, so this is another one of their alum a little bit further along obviously as he is in the White Sox minor league system but his average fell down to 210 from 300 in the prior years and I think that the biggest thing is trying to figure out whether that is a blip for Gillespie um, do you have any insight on if what you believe are you just going to split the difference in projecting him out Ralph and kind of sit around that 250 window do you think the 210 is more representative or do you think 300 is more representative of what Gillespie can actually be yeah, I think, uh, you know, ultimately his batting average is is probably more along the lines of like a 260 to 270 guy. The thing that I've been sort of discouraged by with him is that he's not tapping into the sort of that raw power that he showed in college. Um, I was pretty high on him coming out of that draft in uh, 2014. And initially he's showed some pretty good things with the Rays organization and a pretty decent 2015 and in 2016. All right. Um, you know, was traded and, and really wasn't great at either stop this year, um, whether it was Durham. I saw him actually for a couple of games in Durham and wasn't great with Charlotte either. I saw him for a couple of games in Charlotte as well. Uh, more of a line drive sort of swing. I think the batting, uh, the batted ball profile backs that up 20% on the line drive rate. Doesn't hit enough fly balls for a guy that's as big as he is. I'd like to see him add a little bit more loft to his swing you know, he's 6'4", 240. I'd like to see him tap into a little bit more of that weight. That ultimately, that's why I put Cordell ahead of him, because I think that he has 
more pathways to a, a role on the major league level, not only this year, but going forward. You can play, you know, a few different positions in the outfield, played a few positions in the infield. So I think he gives you some of that versatility. Got a little bit of speed. He's got a little bit of power, some decent on base uh, ability as well. And his contact and his pitch recognition has actually played up uh, over the last few years. He's been dealt a couple of times, you know, Brewers, now to the White Sox, from the Rangers previously. Uh, but I've never thought that Ryan Cordell was a bad hitter. Um, but I don't think he's a great hitter as well. There's a solid chance that he's a fourth outfielder. But I think he's a guy on a, on a White Sox team that doesn't have a lot of outfield depth. Uh, I think that potentially he could find some, some time in the major league level this year. And uh, because of the power and speed combination, maybe he could give you um, some decent weeks and you know maybe a decent month or two when he gets in a hot streak. Uh, I don't like Casey Gillespie very much anymore. I used to be pretty high on him, but I think that his prospect status has, has really deteriorated. Well, Cordell is a guy that's sort of off the radar, but I think he could serve a function on the major league level, and ultimately that's why he's going to get an opportunity before Gillespie does, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that you're we are kind of blending these two guys together to some extent because that's probably a better representation of what they're going to become is just ending up in that kind of fourth outfielder role if they ever get if they ever get up to the major league level and actually contribute. But Gavin Sheets is a guy that I would probably shoot up a bit on this list just because of a personal preference around him. The only real knock that I saw overall with him now he was taken 2017, I believe, in the second round. So a similar kind of profile to what we're talking about with the other individual, Jake Berger, I believe, who was drafted 10th overall, where it's, it's an interesting bad overall. He's this, Gavin Sheets is 6'4", 230. He's got a bulldog swing. This is an aggressive left-handed swing. And I, although the bat speed isn't insane, again, this is another guy where the strikeouts aren't a big issue. And my interest in him is, is, is specifically that. If he could keep that strikeout right around 20% and display this power up a bit as he jumps up into high A, double A, potentially. He's currently in uh, low ball, I believe he played a bit. Um, he only got, oh, he got about 200 plate appearances. He only three home runs. There's a lot of kind of confusion around what the actual skill set is on the batting side of things. But I think that there's more power there than a lot of people are thinking. I'd probably shoot him up to around 10. I'd probably have him right around Jake Berger, honestly. I don't think there's a substantial difference between Berger and Gavin Sheets, aside from the fact that Sheets is already at first base and um, uh, Berger will probably eventually get there. So that might be a knock, of course, is that we don't see a lot of these first basemen actually ending up in a position, as we were talking about earlier with Hoskins, where there's actually a first baseman that ends up being good as opposed to a third baseman that goes to a first baseman or a corner outfielder that ends up at first base. But Sheets and Berger are, are interesting to me. I think they're relatively interchangeable, although I'm sure some people see Berger above Sheets. So that's kind of my inflation on Sheets to some extent. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Sheets, Ralph, but if you don't, we could talk about Zach Birdie, who many have touted as the closer of the future if he can stay healthy. I know he just went underwent Tommy John in July of this year. So mm. there's going to be a recovery process for him there. Probably not going to see him in 2018. But Birdie is a guy with unbelievable strikeout ability. It's something that's shown up at every level, and I don't think it's going to go away. But the walks are there. But uh, I guess first, if you have anything on Sheets, Ralph, and if not, jump into Birdie for us. Sure, yeah. With Sheets, I'll say I think you hit, it, hit the nail on the head. He had a great year his junior year this last past year uh, with Wake Forest slash 322, 429, 634 with 20 bombs. I mean, he had a, a massive season. So he might have been a little bit tired. I'm interested to see what he looks like next year. The bat has to play because he, he is a first-base only guy, not athletic yeah. enough, but he has the bloodlines. Father Larry Sheets was a major leaguer for a long time. I think he's a guy that it could hit uh, 25 homers. I think he's more of a 260 hitter, probably going to pop up a lot for me when you look at the swing. Um, but I do think that there is some ability there and there really isn't a big difference 
personally for me between 15 in this list with birdie and nine. Um, you know, if, if you wanted to yeah, sort of throw all those guys in the air and however they landed, cause you could, you could make a case for birdie over Fulmer. I just think the fact that Fulmer is healthy Absolutely. this year is going to pitch ultimately that yeah. he ranks a little bit higher. So, um, birdie, I think is going to be a really nice one, two punch. If they ever come to their senses and decide to go with birdie and Fulmer in the bullpen, Louisville kid, uh, college track record as a closer was, I think, probably the elite closer uh, in the NCAA in 2016. Um, and I think that he is a future relief ace. He's got a 70, 80 grade fastball. He's got some wildness to it, but I think it has some funk to it too. Hides it pretty well. It's de- difficult to pick up. Uh, obviously, he has the Tommy John surgery. We hope that he comes back. Most of the time nowadays, they do. But this is a guy that can pump high octane fastballs high in the zone, uh, miss a ton of bats when he when he pumps it on the inside. Uh, particularly to to right-handed hitters. Um, his average, his secondaries can be above average. From time to time, they'll play up with a changeup in the slider. Um, but he's not a starter. He's a guy that ultimately you have to hope that he's a closer, and those guys don't have a ton of value in dynasty leagues. Um, you can draft him. You can hold him. But he's somebody like in a this, you know, uh, Roto-Wire Roto, uh, dynasty invitation that I'm doing right now. I wouldn't take birdie until like round 38, 39, 40. My last two or three picks is where I would take a chance on a guy like birdie. But I do think the upside is there. And uh, if he turns into to Craig Kimbrell, then, hey, man, you, you hit the nail on the head. But I'm not one to gamble on relievers in dynasty leagues, especially prospect relievers, which is why he's 15 on this list, though his stuff is good enough to probably put him in the top 10. Yeah, and you mentioned he's really good to right-handed hitters. Uh, one of the things, if you ever watch him from behind home plate, he's really, really closed off when he comes set. His like, front foot actually almost wraps behind his back foot. It's really weird. It's really, really unique. I don't think I've seen many guys really look like that on the mound. He pitched for Louisville. Pretty insane 34% striker rate at AAA, which is obviously higher level than and a lot of other these guys that we are talking about. I know uh, Hanson jumped up AA, and I think Ding Dunning was kicking around there too, but... But Birdie did this at a high level. It's just it's a matter of the control. But I, I agree with you. This is a guy that if you want a closer for some reason or you want an upside closer that you think to some extent maybe come 2020 could be pretty good, I guess go for it. But I wouldn't put too much of an investment in him, particularly because of Tommy John. If he didn't have Tommy John, I think he'd probably be a little bit more interested just because he feels a bit like a Ken Giles kind of guy where he's in the minor leagues and we know he's a closer. So it just feels like that. You feel comfortable with that as opposed to, trying to pick the next guy who is kind of like Rossio Iglesias, who is a starter and then ends up going into that closer role. So this is a pure closer from day one. You don't really see him in many other spots, but it's a matter of him recovering from Tommy John. And I know relievers probably recover a little bit quicker. They don't really need to stretch him out too, too much. We're not worried about him throwing 150 innings. We're worried about him getting back to 65 and throwing at that peak velocity as much as possible. But um, yeah, I like, I like Birdie a bit, but it's more of a thing where I think he becomes relevant in redraft leagues down the road as opposed to dynasty leagues too much. Um, Spencer Adams, Ralph, this is a guy who I think people have been projecting for a very, very long time. Yeah. And to some extent, I've watched older tape of him. You look at him then and you look at him now and you're like, you don't really know what changed. And there really isn't too much strikeout upside. Um, nope. this is why probably you have him 16 on your list. Um, again, you know, it's, it's one of those things, toss these guys up in the air, flip them around. If you still want to keep projecting Adams, go for it. But I think I'm kind of done with it. I don't know if you are Ralph. Yeah, and I think I would probably have uh, Louis Alexander Basabi ahead of him uh, had Basabi not had like an awful season. And sometimes I rank guys yeah. like this because there's a chance that he could get called up to the majors this year. 
and it, it it gives Gray some information to pull from. I'm not even kidding. There's there's times where I I honestly write about it. players that way. That way, Gray will have a little bit of information on some of these guys that are like high minors guys that have an opportunity to potentially get called up and make a couple of starts or uh, fill out a you know major league role as a corner guy. And I think Cordell probably is one of those guys too, um, or Casey Gillespie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other one being Spencer Adams, but he's really not exciting for fantasy. Doesn't miss a ton of bats. Doesn't limit a lot of hard contact. Uh, the peripherals were, aren't great. Uh, the ratios aren't great. So he's kind of just the depth guy that's on this list. And uh, if I was going pure upside and wasn't factoring ETA in at all, Masabi would have been ahead of him. Um, and there might even been some guys that were left off of this list that might have been more deserving. But I felt that I kind of had to write him up because there was a chance that he could make some starts in Chicago. Um, I don't know if you have anything to, to mention on him or if you want to wrap it up with Masabi here. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, Spencer Adams to me is blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, Basabe, I, I agree, definitely is over, but he did have a pretty crappy year. Uh, at the end of the day, Basabe feels like a fourth outfielder to me. He's another switch hitter here. I, I don't mind his swing from either side of the plate. I think he replicates it relatively well, which will help him not have crazy Pablo Sandoval-ass platoon splits at the end of the day. Um, he was a Red Sox at a time. He had a 12-25 season, 12 home runs, 25 bags in 2016, which is one of the reasons why I think a lot of people probably had him around that top 100-ish. I think he was probably the last guy on a lot of people's lists. And I know a lot of top 100 lists, a lot of people say, I know like Long and Hagen says all the time where there's about, you know, 50 people in consideration for that last spot. So it's always funny in the comments when you see, oh, where's this guy? Where's this guy? And it's like, listen, like the difference between 99 and 150 it's it's like a slivers, so they just really don't complain about that yeah. stuff. But it's yeah, Basabe was a guy I think in 2016. A lot of people, exactly, yeah. And Basabe was a guy who was in that hundred-ish window, and now he's fallen out of it for sure. I think, and he's probably more yeah. around as, as Ralph expands out and does more lists. Um, go for. I it. might have had him more like 99 at that point, but I do like that he's a switch hitter. Um, when he was with the Red Sox organization, I heard I heard good reports in terms of uh, the quality of contact that he made, that he hit the ball relatively hard. But I think his best skill is he's a really good runner. He doesn't get caught a whole lot. I know it's lower minors, mm-hmm. but he's been pretty consistent throughout his career. Gets on base. He he. Uh, I think he ticked up a little bit in terms of his plate approach this year. Hopefully that power can come back because if this is a guy that can slug 430 to 460 with that speed, then I think he can carve out a role. He's a decent uh, defensive outfielder too. So I think he could have a major league career. He's still very young. Uh, and if you're interested in adding him anywhere – Make sure that you do not confuse him with his brother, who's a second baseman. Is he still in the Arizona organization? He might have been traded. Don't quote me on that, but I believe he's still in the Arizona organization. Alejandro Basabe, right? Yeah, that is it is Luis Alejandro yeah. Basabe as opposed to Luis Alexander Basabe, which is the better one. We tried to make that clear last year. I'm going to make that clear again, though. They might be sliding a little bit closer than they had been previously, but uh, there we go. The Chicago White Sox system. So all the people who were mad that we covered the Cubs last week <laughs> and made a big deal and talked for an hour and 10 minutes. I don't know why you would be. Why would you be mad that we gave you more fantasy baseball content and dug even deeper on a system that might get forgotten a little bit because it's not uh, in vogue at the moment. Well, we gave you the trendy hipster list. You have the Chicago White Sox list. Uh, all the kids down in Harvard Square that are hanging out in that middle area, they're going to be real happy with it. They're wearing their skinny jeans. I'm starting to sound the old. <laughs> we're gonna go try i'm gonna go try to shovel some more snow maybe to freeze my car again i've just been going outside and like starting my car every four hours that way i know it starts up tomorrow morning <laughs> and then like just shoveling the end of, the end of my driveway that way i'm not gonna get stuck here i'm uh 
it's going to be full escape and get to work tomorrow. So I'm not stuck in a house with, uh, with three children who don't have school because school's already been canceled for tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. sign off here. It's uh, Ralph Lifshitz. Oof. You can find me on Twitter at prospect Jesus doing uh, the fan tracks baseball show with Andy Singleton. Uh, those are coming out on Friday. We have Eric Longenhagen. Uh, it's coming out this week. We have Paul Spore coming on next week. Uh, we're going to cover some more players. I covered uh, Luis Castillo, Blake Snell, uh, Teoscar Hernandez. I crapped all over Dylan Bundy. Uh, I said some nice things about Kettle Marte, <laughs> Zach Cozart. So we covered a whole bunch of players this week. We're going to cover some more next week. Uh, we're going to do the Detroit Tigers. No, Cincinnati, Cincinnati Reds next week, right? Is that who we have? We have Cincinnati Reds next week? Uh, Am I getting my alphabet correct? Yeah, it'll be Reds Rockies, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we should probably just do a red show because, quite honestly, that Reds organization is. I agree. Stacked. I agree. I may like. I may like that. That. Yeah. They got a, uh, Siri, they got a lot of guys. With my, like White Sox, even you know this. This is a really good system. One to sort of six, one to seven, and then it yeah, slides yeah. back a little bit, and they do not it's have the depth of like giant a mess. Padres or a Yankees who have like forty guys that we could rank. But Lance, I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell the people where they can find sure. you. Yeah, I'm at Lance Brosdow on Twitter. I've been growing the Twitter following a lot, so if you could jump on with me, I consider you a day one still to some extent as as we move through this industry together, me and Ralph and everyone else on the Rasball side of things. But yeah, at Lance Brosdow, I put a lot of my stuff through there. I've written a lot of stuff. I have some articles queued up for Rasball, actually. One is on Miguel Cabrera. One is on Zach Cozart. I'm doing one on Gallo this weekend, what I'll have up. Um, those are all probably going to come down the pipeline in the next month or so. So I am backloading some some content here. But I have written a bit about Garrett Cole recently, Byron Buxton, some other guys for various sites as my own, Big Three Sports. I read a little bit for Baseball Prospectus and such. So I'm all over the place. And uh, this is this is one of the highlights. I've been getting into the prospect side a lot more and even some of the lower minors prospects and college prospects, et cetera. Worked for the Collegiate Baseball Scan Network. I for them a bit. And we got a lot of good content over there. And uh, good content everywhere. That's the name of the game. Just get good content out. Help yourself differentiate. And, man, this is this is the highlight of my week most of the time, Ralph. So I really enjoy doing this with you. Um, a pleasure as always. And uh, I guess for me and Ralph and for everyone in snowy New England and up the East Coast that got hammered, I hope you all enjoy your weekends. And you don't freeze because it's going to be really cold. So uh, for the Reswell Prospect Podcast, take care, everybody. <laughs>